Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. Our church's vision is to have a passion for God and compassion for people. We hope that the teachings in this podcast will encourage you as you seek to follow Christ and grow in your faith. Now, let's get into today's message. Well, good morning, Ritman Grace. How are we today? It's good to be here with you. My name is Clark, and I'm the pastor here. And if we haven't met, I'd love to meet you and your family afterwards. So feel free to join us for the uh, church cookout today, the pavilion. Love to just uh, enjoy some food with you and chit-chat a little bit. So if you want to chit-chat a little bit, look forward to seeing you over there. But hope everybody's having a good weekend. And um, just want to say that, uh, yeah, if, if you're just now jumping in with us, we're actually concluding a series that we've been in for the past uh, several weeks. We're on week eight today, so I'm excited to jump into that. Well, do you ever notice in yourself a tendency to make things a little bit more complicated than they really are? Do you even find yourself doing that with God and Christian belief? Well, in this series, what we've been saying is that we want to get back to the simple foundational principles that lie at the heart of the Christian gospel. We said we just want to take some time to get back to the basics. So again, we've been in this series. This is week eight now, but just to recap a little bit, week one, we talked all about getting back to the basics of God. Who is God? Week two, we talked about grace. We said we sing about grace. What is grace? We got to the back to basics with grace. We did the same thing in week three with the new birth. We said, what does it mean to be a born again Christian? We talk about that. We hear about that. Week four, we looked at justification. What does it mean to be right before God? Week five, we talked about our union with Christ, this mystical union that Scripture talks about. After that, in uh, week six, we looked at sanctification, which just is a way of saying we want to look more and more like Jesus as Christ followers, as we follow Jesus not perfectly, but increasingly. Last week, if you were here, we talked about discipleship talked about how following Jesus is this lifelong journey, and we want to follow Jesus. So today we conclude this series. We're going to talk about eternal life. That's where we're headed today, eternal life. What is pushing you through life, and what is pulling you through life? I wonder as you think about those two questions, what answers come to mind? What is pushing you through life? What is pulling you through life. I think for some of us, we have friends and family members who stand behind us and encourage us, and they push us forward in life. They push us to be our best. I think for others of us, perhaps on the other side, maybe if you think, uh, you know, the back of your head, maybe there's a voice of someone who ridiculed you uh, early on in life and told you that you couldn't do something. And maybe for you, that's what's driving you. The idea that you're going to prove that voice in your head wrong. Most of us, there's something pushing us forward in life. For most of us, there's also something that's pulling us forward in life. For some of us, maybe it's a vision of some sort of preferred future. Some sort of goal that we'd like to achieve. Or maybe there's some sort of place that we'd like to get to in life. Maybe there's a vision of the future that we aspire toward. I think for most of us, by and large, we are pushed by something and we're pulled by something. And when we talked about discipleship last week, we said following Christ 
is this lifelong journey. It's ongoing. And on that journey, God's grace is both pushing us and it's pulling us. And if you think about it this way, if you think about grace, you think about the things like we talked about the new birth, being born again, or this idea of justification being right before God, legally right before God. These things lie at the beginning of our life with God and they push us forward. In fact, when the Bible talks about discipleship, it always starts with the fact that we have been forgiven. It starts with the fact that uh, God has canceled our sins, canceled our sins in Christ, the fact that we are in Christ. And that's why over the past few weeks, we've talked about, if you were here, you might remember we talked about the indicatives of Scripture, these things that are true, and therefore, because they're true, they push us into a new kind of life. But not only is that true, God's grace also stands out in front of us and it pulls us towards a particular future. And that aspect that I'm speaking of, God's grace stands out ahead of us. It pulls us forward. The Bible calls that eternal life. And I know that even when I say that, some of you are probably thinking, eternal life? Man, that is so basic, right? It's so John 3.16, and yes, that's kind of the point of the series, right? We want to get back to the basics. So what I want to suggest to you this morning is this. This reality, the idea of eternal life, for some of us, it just gets kind of filed away like, oh yeah, I've heard this before. I know that. That we could, in a sense, kind of blow the dust off of this weighty, significant biblical truth today. That if we could do that, we could be compelled in a new way by what it means that God has promised and given eternal life. That he intends for this to be a promise and a future that pulls us forward in a life of holiness and discipleship and a life of growing up. So if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me today to the book of 1 John chapter 5. It's where we're going to be camping out this morning. 1 John chapter 5, it was read earlier by Dan. We're going to look at that again. So the Apostle John says this, starting in verse 11. Here's what he says. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Well, you don't have to have a dramatic education to see that eternal life is the theme of these verses. It's mentioned a couple times here in these three verses. The Apostle John wants us to draw our attention to the reality of eternal life. He wants us to think about what it is and what it means. So I want to give you three observations about eternal life this morning. And if you're taking notes, you can write these down. Here's the first one. Eternal life begins now. Eternal life begins now. Notice in verse 11, he says, And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. Now, when we hear that phrase, eternal life, we usually tend to think about the future. And I, and I do it myself. A lot of times we'll even hear people say things like, life after death or the afterlife. And when we hear that phrase, eternal life, sometimes 
That's where our mind tends to go. We tend to think eternal life. That's, ha- that's something that happens later. But the Apostle John is intentionally using a past tense verb because what he says is God has, notice, given, given us eternal life in the future. Excuse me, given us eternal life. Not that God will give us or is going to give us eternal life in the future, but past tense, God has given us eternal life. It has been given. The gospel is not just about your eternal destiny. It's about your present reality. Eternal life begins now. So think about it this way. Uh, My wife just gave birth to our second child, Charlie. And I'm already enjoying being a girl dad. It's a lot of fun. It's challenging to have two kids now. But I'll never forget the day that I found out uh, when my wife was pregnant with our first And the reason that moment stands out in my mind is because though our son Luca would not yet be born for another nine months, our lives changed then, right? I didn't just change, or it didn't just change when we were in the hospital room and my wife was giving birth to our first child. It changed the moment that we knew that this life has been conceived and now already our future Already our future had been changed. Already we were thinking like, wow, we need to get a different car. We need to start thinking about our living situation. We need to start solving and answering questions that all this brings into play. That was not just about a future reality, you see. It was about a present reality that Yes, it would be experienced more fully nine months into the future, but it was already in existence. Already, it changed our reality from the moment that we had heard that news. Now, why tell you that this morning? Here's why I tell you that. Because eternal life is the same way. Eternal life is the same way. Yes, there's a sense in which the fullness of eternal life is yet to be experienced, but it begins now. And the implications of it begin now. And the implications stretch forward into the future. And in American Christianity, we oftentimes have the tendency to be mostly future-oriented in how we think about eternity. In fact, perhaps the way you heard the gospel was something along the lines of this. You're going to die, and you're going to stand before Jesus, and you're going to give an account for your life, and you're going to go to heaven or hell. And so you need to make a decision of whether you want to go to heaven or hell. So if that's the decision, it's very clear, well, I'd rather go to heaven than hell. So we tend to think a lot about the afterlife only. And it's possible to hear the gospel through the lens of, well, that's all about the future. That's about what happens after I die. The Apostle John is intentionally writing in the past tense to wake us up that eternal life God gave you that. It's already begun. You've been ushered into it now if you're a Christ follower. And what that means is that God intends for your life to be fuller and deeper and richer richer now because you are united with the Lord Jesus Christ. Your life changes now. Eternal life begins to affect you now. So here's the pressing question that I think that this text puts before us this morning. Ready? 
where do you think life is found? Where do you think life is found? As you think about how you sort of functionally live life, where do you think life is found? Where do you find yourself saying, if only, if only I could have that, if only I could get that, if only this were true, then life would be meaningful. The Apostle John wants to confront us this morning with the reality that for those who belong to Jesus Christ, life is found in Him. And life has begun now in a new and different way. You've been invited to this divine life of God Himself. And that changes how you right now. So first, I want to observe the eternal life. Eternal life begins right now. But secondly, I want us to see Eternal life, and this is no surprise, it's in Jesus Christ. Eternal life begins now, but eternal life is in Jesus Christ. Let's look at our text again. And this is the testimony, John says. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. The text could not be any clearer, nor could it be any more binary. In other words, there are fundamentally two kinds of people, John tells us. Those who have the Son and therefore have eternal life, and those who do not have the Son and do not have eternal life. The Apostle John wants us to reckon with the fact that we are in one of those two camps. We exist in one of those two realities. So here's the question for you. Do you have the Son? Do you have the Son? If so then you also have eternal life. If not, then you do not have eternal life. See, you can't divorce the promise of eternal life from the Son. If the Christianity that you've heard, if the gospel that you have responded to is one that says you can have eternal life when you die, and that's somehow disconnected from, you can be vitally connected and united with the Lord Jesus Christ now, then you have to see that you've been sold a false gospel. The Apostle John says very clearly, eternal life is in the Son. You get Jesus, and in Him, you get eternal life. But you can't have eternal life without Jesus. And you don't trust Jesus so that you can have eternal life. You trust Jesus because in Jesus is found eternal life. Notice this crazy promise in verse 13. This is designed to be so comforting and so confirming. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. In other words, you can have confidence. You can be assured that you have eternal life. How can you know? You can know because you have the Son. You're found in Him. Eternal life is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. So now if you connect that to the point that we made a minute ago, that eternal life begins now, and eternal life is found in the Lord Jesus Christ, what that means is this, that the best life, the fullest life, the deepest life, the most significant life is found in knowing Jesus. Life with Jesus is the best kind of life. It's the deepest kind of life. So those of us who profess to be followers of Christ, what this text is inviting us to, what this text is provoking us to, is to repent of all the ways that we try to find life outside of Jesus. In other words, aren't we all prone to believing that life, that the life that we can find 
is a, is a life that could be found somebody somewhere else besides in Christ. We're all prone to believing that. We think that there's a better life somewhere else. Like, great, Jesus, yeah, I have that. But man, if I could succeed in my career, or if I could, you know, this person approves of me, or if I get this job, or if I have this relationship, then I'll really be fulfilled. Aren't we guilty of that sort of thinking frequently? The Apostle John reminded us, if you're a Christian, you have fun. You have the best and the highest and the deepest and the most meaningful, significant, most purposeful kind of life that you can possibly have. There is no higher, better life than a life that's in union with Jesus Christ. So all of the promises of life elsewhere, all of the promises in the world, other kinds of life, deeper kinds of life, fuller kinds of life, the whole, you'll be really fulfilled if this, or you'll really have purpose if that, those are all hollow and shallow. Because real life, true life, eternal life is found in Christ. And sometimes we just need to be reminded of that fact. The Bible needs to remind us wherever else you're chasing life, it's not there. Whatever else you believe will fulfill you and provide meaning, it won't. If you have Jesus, you have the best, you have the highest, you have the fullest life. So we learn from this text, eternal life, it begins now. Eternal life is in Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, we learn that eternal life changes our approach to this life. Eternal life changes our approach to this life, which would only make sense, right? If there really is a thing called eternal life, if God really has given eternal life, and that life is found in Jesus, and that life will last forever, that changes how we approach this life. This is the logic of Scripture. Because Christians have eternal life, they have a different outlook. They have a different perspective on this life. In other words, eternal life changes the way that we live now. And I want to tease out three aspects of how eternal life changes our lives now. There's a lot more than three, but I think that there's three that are significant that we should discuss this morning. So eternal life changes our approach to this life in three ways. It, number one, it makes us live differently. It makes us live differently. So number one is that eternal life causes us to live differently. Think about it this way. The world around us the world around us has all of their hope in this life, just in this life. And if you don't believe in eternal life, if you don't believe that there is a future with God, if you don't believe that there's a new heavens and a new earth coming, then all of your hope, all of your hope is going to be packed into this life. If you understand that, that actually explains a lot. That explains why so many people around you are addicted to pleasure to comfort, to success, to achievement, because they have to get it all in 80 years. And not only that, this also explains why so many people around you are angry and despairing and sometimes violent. Because if I have to get all of this in this life and it's not working for me, and I'm not getting what I hope for, I mean, how frustrating and how agitating, how helpless am I? 
So the fact that people who do not know Jesus do not have the hope of eternal life have to find all of the meaning, all of significance right here in this life explains both the striving after pleasure and comfort and the anger and despair that we see around us. So contrast that with what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. Notice what he says. Their destiny, it's talking about people who do not have this hope of eternal life. He says their destiny is what? Destruction. Their God is their stomach. In other words, their appetites. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you catch that word? Citizenship. Citizenship. In other words, what Paul's saying is this. If you're a Christian, if you belong to Jesus, you actually live in a different country. You're just on a temporary visa here. So in contrast to people whose God is their appetite, who glory in their shame, who have their minds set only on this world and this world alone, because this is all they ever think that they're going to get, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you are living for something else. You have a different hope. You have a different longing. You're a citizen of a different place. And because of that, you live differently while you dwell here. The world that we live in is not your home. This life is not your horizon. Your citizenship, as Paul says, is in heaven. So eternal life causes us to live differently in the now. So you love Jesus. If you belong to Jesus, part of how that should manifest itself is this. You should be able to tell by observing, you know, some of the things that my friends care about, I just don't care about very much. Right? You might think to yourself, some of the things that create anxiety, some of the things that create despair and frustration to the people around me, I just can't relate to that. It's not in a way that's not empathetic or not compassionate, but it's, it's in a sense just the things that they're ultimately concerned about are not my ultimate concern as a Christ follower. There should be a distinction that's clear to you that says, because I'm living for something more, it makes sense to me why some of the people around me without hope aren't living for the same things. And that should also move you towards proclaiming the gospel. The gospel is something that we are to herald. It's something we're to proclaim, to tell people, you know what, you do not have to get it all in 80 years. In fact, whenever you get it in 80 years, it's all just going to stay here. If we've learned anything from history, it's that all the Egyptian tombs that we dig up, with all the amazing treasures in them, they're really great for archaeology and history, but they didn't really do that person any good in the afterlife, right? We live differently now in this life because of the hope of eternal life. We have a different value system in a different place where we have our citizenship, so we dwell in this world in a unique way. So eternal life changes our approach to this life by making us live differently. But secondly, eternal life also changes the way we approach this life because it makes us age gracefully. It makes us age gracefully. Isn't that good news? The culture around us is addicted to looking young, to acting young, and to feeling young. Do you know why that is? It's because for many, 
this life is all there is. So anything that hints at this life, that, that hints at the, that this life is progressing, that the water is going under the bridge and that life is moving on, it's a reminder of futility. It's a reminder of the lack of hope. Think about it this way. For people who do not have hope in Jesus Christ, there's no pull toward eternal future. All there is is push. The push of life getting behind me. The push of the years that I've already lived. So as a response to that, I kind of want to lean back into those and not let them keep pushing me forward because I feel the effects of that push. But for Christ followers, for disciples of Jesus Christ, getting older is a blessing because it's moving us deeper into eternal life. Aging is not to be feared. Aging is to be welcomed. Because there, here's the reality. It's going to happen to every single one of us, right? I mean, that's the one common denominator that each and every one of us here have this morning. At the end of the service, we're all going to be older. You can't beat it. So you might as well have the right perspective on it. Proverbs chapter 16 says this, gray hair is a crown of splendor. As people age in God's family, they get wiser, they get more stable, they get more mature. Why? Because they're pulled more fully into the hope of eternal life. So we're all getting older, and one of the beauties of eternal life is that it causes us to change the perspective that we have on aging. So we age gracefully. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. See, though the outer me is getting older, the inner me is getting renewed. It's getting fuller. It's getting pulled more deeply into life with God because eternal life, because of eternal life, we age gracefully. If you're a Christ follower, I don't think that anybody loves aging. It's not something that we're just like, oh, this is great. I'm getting older. It's an effect of the fall, Genesis 3, right? But the hope of eternal life should sort of help us to look at aging and to look at even death in the face and say, oh, well, it's not the end. This doesn't mean anything. Jesus is making all things new. That's our hope. So my prayer for us is that we would be the kind of church that isn't fighting aging tooth and nail but instead moving gracefully into the new seasons of life that God calls us into. Whether that means that you just graduated and now it's time to get a job, whether that means that you just got married, whether that means that you just had a child, or whether that means that your kids are now in high school instead of grade school, or whether that means that you're an empty nester, or whether that means that you're a grandparent, or whether that means that you're a sage and you're a mentor to others. Whatever stage that is out ahead of you, my prayer is that you would move into that with grace and that you would step into that next stage and phase of life, whatever it is, with grace. Even if it doesn't look like what you expected it to look like because right out in front of you is the hope of eternal life. So eternal life changes our approach to this life by making us live differently. It makes us age gracefully. And then thirdly, finally, it causes us to suffer hopefully. It causes us to suffer hopefully. We need to talk about suffering a little bit this morning because I think that this is one of the distinctive gifts of the Christian worldview. Helping us to have a paradigm for suffering. Some of us here this morning, or maybe not here this morning, are suffering from chronic pain. 
some of you here are suffering from degenerative diseases. Some of us are suffering in an age or season of life that we would rather not have. But that's where we are. And it feels like a burden to bear that. None of us chooses suffering. We would rather much avoid it. That's why we call it suffering. It's not something that we embrace. It's something that we seek to... Don't miss this. Suffering is one of the... Is and declare the gospel in this world. Grab this real quick. I have this. Okay. This is one of the distinctive gifts of the Christian worldview, suffering. So helping us have a paradigm of suffering. Uh, some of us, some of us were suffering from chronic pain. Some of us here were suffering from degenerative diseases. And some of us are in this age or season of life that we would rather not be in. But, and it feels like a burden for us to bear that. And none of us chooses suffering. I think that's where we're at. But here's what I don't want you to miss. Hopeful suffering is one of the clearest ways that we display and declare the gospel in this world because hopeful suffering, hopeful suffering that says, I don't like this, I didn't choose this, and I don't prefer this, and yet there's still hope. That's distinct and that's unique to Christianity. And if you think about the center of our faith, the crucifixion, where Jesus, identifying with our suffering, suffering in hope, and yet a hope that was before Jesus. It was out yet in the future, and that caused him to suffer hopefully. And that's the whole substance of our salvation as followers of Christ. The reason that we can have hope is because Jesus suffered on our behalf. And that's what what that invites us to and what that moves us into is a life that is marked with the same kinds of suffering. It's a hopeful kind of suffering. It's, it's normal that we would want to avoid suffering at all costs. That's just human nature. But what the gospel does and what the hope of eternal life does is it lays over that resistance that we have to suffering and eternal hope. And it says that this is not the end of the story. God is making all things new. And because I have the promise of this union with Christ, even in the midst of suffering, there's the presence of God and there's this presence of hope. And that's compelling. It's a, it's a different story than those in which their only response to suffering is despair and anger and frustration. And are you going to feel all those things if you're a follower of Jesus? You bet you will. Absolutely. Absolutely. But tinged in all of them is going to be this sense of hope. You might say to yourself, I know that this is not the end of the story. Like, I don't like having to bear this, but there is a better world coming. There's a better reality in the future. And that has been given to me now. So I live in the present reality with a sense of hopeful suffering. And you know, the Apostle Peter one of Jesus' disciples has so much to say about suffering. 
And I imagine it's because of what we know of Peter's own story and how he watched the sufferings of Christ and then experienced on the other side of that the resurrected Christ restoring him. And I think that gave him a picture of what, what is to come on the other side of suffering. So in Peter's epistle, chapter 5 of 1 Peter, here's what he tells us. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Isn't that a different kind of message than your best life now? Isn't that a different kind of message than you'll never have to experience suffering? What the Apostle Peter is saying here is this. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will restore, he will confirm, he will strengthen, and he will establish you. Because suffering is but a moment compared to the time span of eternity and the glory and the life that we're invited to. So eternal life changes how we approach this life because it causes us to suffer hopefully. And the beauty of eternal life is like an anchor. It's key and part of God's grace that we cannot just we can't just write it off and say, yeah, John 3.16, you won't perish, but you'll have eternal life. We need to let the weight of this truth rest on us. And we need to feel the hopeful promise that God gave us with this eternal life. And that this eternal life is in his son, Jesus Christ. That if you have the son, then you have life. You can know it, and you can experience it, you can live in it, you can dwell in it, and you can rest in it. So I want to ask you, would you bow your head with me as we close in this series? And as we go to prayer, I just want to ask you to reflect on a couple things this morning. The first thing I'd like us to reflect on is do you know for certain that you have eternal life? Do you sense even the beginnings of that life within you? And if not, would you give yourself up to the Son of God this morning? When the Apostle John says, he who has the Son has life, he's talking about a vital communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, will you surrender yourself to the Lord Jesus? And would you receive the gift of union with him if you have not yet? So the second question, are you experiencing the kind of eternal, abundant life Jesus said that he came to offer? If not, where is there a need for repentance in faith? What false senses of life do you need to turn from? What truths, what promises do you need to renew your mind with? Where are you chasing after some other source of life and meaning apart from Jesus? And would you this morning come back and ground yourself in the promise and the reality that life is found in the Son? Well, Father, we give ourselves up to you this morning. And we ask, would you bring us back into the fullness of life in you? Would you help us to be a community that lives differently in this world? A community that suffers with one another. Would you ground us this morning in the life that is found in Jesus Christ? And would you allow that to transform us, to change us?
for our good and for your glory. Amen. Our church's mission is to follow God, share his truth, and be examples of the love of Jesus to all. If you would like to know more about us, you can visit our website at www.rittmangrace.org or drop by anytime for one of our in-person Sunday morning worship services. Once again, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Rittman Grace Podcast.